Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello and welcome to episode 810 with Marina Nitza. Marina has so much fun insider perspective on how you can hack your bureaucracy, get stuff done, no matter how much red tape or process stuff you got to deal with in your organization. She's got pro tips from her own towering experience, as well as that of many of the people she's worked with and interviewed and spoken with. So much good stuff. So you'll learn one, why bureaucracies can actually be great Two, six favorite bureaucracy hacks. And three, what not to do when trying to challenge a bureaucracy. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or some of the links to bits that we mentioned here, please visit us at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP810. Now here's Marina's story. Marina Nitza is co-author of the new book, Hack Your Bureaucracy, and a partner at Layer Aleph, a crisis response firm specializing in restoring complex software systems to service. Marina is also a fellow at New America's New Practice Lab, where she improves America's foster care system through the Resource Family Working Group and Child Welfare Playbook. Marina was the CTO of the VA after serving as a senior advisor on technology in the Obama White House. She lives in Seattle. Big thanks to Marina for sharing her wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Marina. Marina, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Well, I'm so excited to hear about your wisdom. But first, I think we need to hear a little bit about your job as a 12-year-old making fan sites for General Hospital. Well, it was the best way to learn HTML back then. It was the days of AOL keywords, right? And I loved my General Hospital soap opera couples. And it was a great way to learn technology. And that was absolutely the start of my tech career. So at 12 years old, you're loving General Hospital. Yes, it was a neighbor's grandma watched it and I got to sit and uh, watch it with her. And then you just, you get hooked, right? Friday cliffhanger, you got to see what happens Monday and then you're running home from the school bus every night. That is fun. <laughs> I have a feeling that in your childhood, you probably had a lot of fun conversations with quote grownups. Is that fair to say? I was really bad at being a kid. So yeah, I mostly just talked to grownups and tried to have my own businesses. And yeah, being an adult is more fun. All right. Well, I'm, I'm intrigued to hear you've got a cool specialty. We're talking about your book, Hack Your Bureaucracy. You've worked in some in your career, in your days. Could you share with us any particularly surprising or counterintuitive discovery you've made about bureaucracies in general? Is is there something most of us have wrong about bureaucracies? I think so. I think bureaucracy is often a four-letter word, right? We think of them as things that you need to blow up, you need to move around, you need to get rid of. And for me, the most surprising thing as a libertarian joining the federal government 
believing that the whole mm-hmm. thing should be blown up and that it totally did not work was that uh, you, bureaucracies actually work quite effectively and you can do a lot of effective things to get them to change for the better. And so learning those techniques was really the impetus behind writing the new book and sharing those with others. Well, so tell us more about that. Bureaucracies, in fact, do work effectively. Can you give us some, some data or evidence or examples there? Well, we kept seeing when I was in the federal government, we had a program called the U.S. Digital Service, which recruited top tier technologists to come into government for tours of duty. And repeatedly, kind of the pattern was always the same. They wanted to come in. And the first thing they thought was the path to success was getting a waiver or an exception to the rules or going around the rules. And that worked zero percent of the time. But what did really work was learning what the rules were and then not only using them to your advantage, but sometimes changing the rules of the game themselves so that the next thing the bureaucracy was doing was the right thing and the thing you wanted to be doing consistently even after you left. Okay. So they were able to accomplish what they were hoping to accomplish by doing things the way that they say are to be done. And that was fine. Yeah. I had a great story there around trying the normal way first, which is one of our bureaucracy hacks, Mm -hmm. when we wanted the VA to use cloud computing. Because at the time, all the websites for veterans were literally operating on computers that were like under people's desks or in one case in a mop closet. And even if you don't know a lot about technology, computers and mop closets and water should, should never the twain shall meet. But one of the big objections that we got to doing this was from the inspector general who said, well, wait a minute, you can't use cloud computing because you can't put the cloud in an evidence bag. And so by actually going through this process and working with them and understanding how they conducted their investigations, which was they would walk into your office, they would pick up the computer and they would put it in evidence bag. They didn't know how they could do that in a world where cloud computing and you can't actually touch the computers anymore. So we had to work with them to help them see how they could actually conduct their investigations more effectively. Oh, yeah. You don't have to truck it over to the mop closet. (laughs) Exactly. You don't have to lift anything. You don't have to put it into bags. Your back won't be strained anymore. And then in the course of following up with that, we ended up hitting, you know, the IT approval paperwork had questions like, Marina, did you do you pinky swear that you jiggled the doorknob to make sure that it was locked on the cloud? And you can't jiggle the doorknob of the cloud either. So you had to actually, we had to change the paperwork itself. But in the course of changing the paperwork, now you can say like, hey, is this server in a mop closet? And if it is, then it doesn't get approved. Does this server have backups? And if it doesn't, then it doesn't get approved. Does this website have business hours? And if it does, then it doesn't get approved. And that's how you can make a really systemic change in a bureaucracy. But I just need to follow up. So there is actually an official form somewhere that had the phraseology pinky swear and jiggle handle on it. Is that accurate? Uh, the, the pinky swear is my color, admittedly, but the jiggling the handle was actually literally a security control. Okay. You had to promise. <laughs> I had to swear and sign on a piece of paper that I had jiggled the doorknob to make sure that it was locked. <laughs> oh, this is fun. This is what I love is the detailed inside scoop. All right. So maybe let's zoom out a bit. What's the big idea behind the book, Hack Your Bureaucracy? Yeah, it's really the Frank Sinatra test. So in Frank Sinatra's song, My Way, he says, hey, if I made it here in New York, I can make it anywhere. And so the bureaucracy hacking tactics we learned in the White House when I was at the VA as the chief technology officer in Department of Defense, when they worked there, we then found my co-author, Nick, and I, that when we left, now he's in venture capital and at Harvard University. I now do IT crisis consulting for Fortune 500 companies, and I work in state and local governments on foster care. And the bureaucracy hacking tactics still keep working. And then we try them in PTAs and homeowners associations, and they still keep working. So the idea is, here are some hacks that worked in some of the toughest bureaucracies, and they'll also work in your everyday bureaucracies. Okay. Well, could you share with us an inspiring story of someone who indeed successfully hacked their bureaucracy and and got something cool done, which others may have said is impossible? Absolutely. So at the VA in uh, 2013, there was a horrible backlog of healthcare applications from veterans that were trying to access VA healthcare. 800,000 of them 
waiting, pieces of paper waiting in a warehouse. And it was in the news that the inspector general had determined that 100,000 of those veterans had died waiting for the VA to process that paperwork. And so the VA was going to do what the VA always did, which was we're going to do more mandatory overtime and more data entry. But my team believed that there was a different way to go about that. What if we could bypass the paper and get, you know, digital instant enrollment for veterans? And what unlocked that was actually sitting down with a real veteran. His name is Dominic. And with his permission, we recorded him trying and failing to apply for VA healthcare 12 times. He called, you know, we hung up on him. He tried to open the website. It wouldn't load. He tried to open another website. It wouldn't open. And up until that point, the VA's belief had been that veterans don't use the internet because the numbers of veterans that applied online were so Uh. small, when in fact, it was that the websites didn't work. And so when we had this video of Dominic trying and failing so many times, and then it turned out he was actually absolutely eligible, and we were able to enroll him the next morning, we gave him our new mobile form, which is not rocket science. It's not machine learning. It's literally a form that loads on on your mobile phone. He was able to enroll instantly, and we've since enrolled 2 million veterans instantly in VA healthcare through that mobile form. That's beautiful. Okay. So what was taking a step back and parsing some insights from the story, it seems that the leadership has a mistaken view of what things are really like on the ground. Seems to be my takeaway there. Yeah. And so our tactic here, you got to talk to real people. Mm-hmm. And you, what, no matter where you are, if you're a brand new hire, if you've been in your role for 30 years, if you're the leader or if you're, you know like an entry-level employee, going out and talking to the real people that are really experiencing your your service, whatever your company may offer, is the way that you're going to find those disconnects that you're not going to find if you never leave the office. Mm-hmm. Well, that is a grand story. Well, so you've got 56 such approaches for hacking. I don't imagine we can cover all 56 in the time we have here today, but could you maybe give us some of your greatest hits in terms of, and here's my criteria, how we'll define greatest hits. It's widely applicable in terms of, it covers many kinds of bureaucracies. It is wildly effective in terms of, by golly, there's a high percentage of the time this thing gets her done. And it has a a good return on effort, if you will. Like a, a little bit of time here can give big returns. So- Put you on the spot, Marina, if you give us a few of your favorite bureaucracy hacks that meet these three criteria, what leaps to mind? Absolutely. It would definitely be the space between the silos. So the bigger your bureaucracy is, right, the more specialized it gets, the more there's different departments. It may even be that your company interacts with other companies through the course of a process. And while there's tons of defensive antibodies that don't want to change inside a silo, there's often absolutely nobody paying attention at the handoffs between the silos. So it's a really awesome opportunity to make really big change. And I'll tell you a quick story around this. I was helping a state try to shorten its foster parent application processing time. And this is really important because while grandparents or aunts and uncles have kiddos in foster care in their home, they're not getting paid. They're not getting any financial support until they complete this really Byzantine paperwork process. So it was really important to get it down. So I'm, I'm following the claim in this case from start to finish. And this is the advice that anybody can use. If it's a claim, if it's a case, if it's a customer, whatever it may be, follow it from start to finish. When it goes through the fax machine, you go to the other end of the fax machine. When it goes to the mail room, you go to the mail room. And so I was following this one foster parent application through the office. And I get to this woman and she says, well, now I have to request the applicant's driving record from the DMV. And she pulls out the carbon copy triplicate paper, you know, the kind you have to like mm-hmm. press really hard and it's different colors. And she says, oh, I hate the step so much. The DMV lives in the 19th century. I don't even have stamps. Like it takes forever. This sucks. And I 
walked over to the DMV because I'm following the real application, right? And I say, hey, can you show me how you're processing the driving record request? And the woman there says, oh, yes, we use this electronic system and the requests come in and we process them same day. And I said, well, wait a minute. I saw a carbon copy paper. Where does that come in? And she said, oh, you were at child welfare. Those people are in the 19th century. They keep sending this carbon copy paper. Why the heck won't they use my electronic system like everybody else? And so I was able to connect those two individuals and overnight shave 32 days off a process, remove a cumbersome step that nobody wanted to do, and make everybody's lives easier simply because in most bureaucracies, nobody ever sees or owns the end-to-end process. And so if you can just crawl through it, follow a real person, you will be shocked at the amount of insights and improvements that you can make. You know, Marina, this is the first time someone who's made government work sound exciting to me. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, what what a huge value add. Sorry, consulting language stuck with me. Yeah. It's just, that's like a huge amount of value for what sounded somewhat easy, Marina. Maybe you did a lot of work over many days to pull this off, but that didn't sound too hard. And yet that's a, a huge improvement in in people's lives that it, that's quite touching and and those opportunities exist when you're you're inside big bureaucracies it call me optimistic but that almost sounds like a positive oh i'm in a huge bureaucracy oh lucky you there's so many improvement opportunities you could probably just grab that make a huge impact for not a lot of effort that's kind of a cool place to be I mean, I would agree with you. Yeah. I would agree with you on that. The bigger the fire, the more interested I am. But even if you're at a smaller bureaucracy, you know, there might be handoffs you do with other outside partners, or maybe you're interacting with the government as a nonprofit or something. Go follow that application process through and see if there are inefficiencies to be had. Mm-hmm. I love it. Okay. So we talked about the space between the silos and following from start to finish. What are some of your other approaches? Picking up the pen. So I first learned this one. I, at the VA for a while, we were missing one of our senior leader roles. We hadn't hired for it yet. And so we were kind of distributing uh, that role's tasks among the staff. And one of them involved having to go to the White House for a meeting, which sounds really exciting and like everybody would want to do it. But that means waiting in the security line for two hours in the hot sun. So I, as the new person on the team, got tagged in to uh, take on this meeting. And I was supposed to write the president's management agenda, which is a pretty big deal in the federal government. And one of the tasks at that meeting was, hey, can someone write a technology goal on a slide? And so I'm looking around, figuring other people showed up with all their ideas. But nope, here was the blank slide. And so I said, oh, I'll do it. I'm going to write down that the VA should have the first agency digital services team and it should have 75 employees reporting to the CTO, which was me. Mm -hmm. And I assumed, you know, someone would come along and edit my slide or delete it or modify it. But nope, it kept moseying along through the process. And then lo and behold, the president is announcing the president's management agenda that includes the goal of having 75 technologists assigned to the CTO of the VA, which is me. So then I got to take that slide that I had written because I had picked up the pen and take it and justify hiring these, these 75 teammates that I really, really needed. And that was a great story in the federal government, but I since use it all the time to include, we have a story in the book of someone using that to change their condo's pool policy because there was a lot of bickering around, like, is the homeowners association going to let us have the pool open during COVID? And I said, well, why don't you write the policy that says it's open? Because then the person that wants to keep the pool closed, they're going to have to also write a policy and show up and like get counter votes. So you're actually making raising the bar effort for them and making it easier for everybody to do what you want. And this worked pretty consistently among everybody that I knew that was having this pool problem. That's so cool because and it's funny because there's a bit of resistance there. So I said like, oh, writing a pool policy, that sounds kind of boring and lame. And what do I know about pool policies? I've never written anything like this. But 
at the end of the day, everybody just makes it up. Someone just makes it up. You just made it up and you got 75 <laughs> employees. That's pretty cool. And uh, someone else is just making up a pool policy. It's, it's unlikely that they're consulting with a, someone with tremendous deep expertise in, in pool matters from an insurance company or a law firm. But that's conceivably possible. But for the most part, sort of like, I guess this makes some sense when it comes to having a pool. Uh, so it's the policy. What, any input, feedback? Okay, here we go. This is the policy. Yeah. I mean, if you look around, no offense to your particular homeowners association, but uh, if you're looking around it, it's just made of other regular humans that are just like you and me. Right. So there's no reason why you can't write a pool policy. And yeah, maybe somebody will have an edit to it. But if you want the pool open, pick up the pen, draft the policy, see what happens. All right. I dig it. Marina, this is awesome. Keep going. All right. I'd love to share a Harry Potter analogy here. So because I think this is a really, really effective one if you're ever working with technology. So there's a concept called strangling the mainframe. And it's the idea that like, say you've got an old, old system, everybody's got one in their company if it's around long enough, right? And everybody thinks that the goal is to shut off the old system. But the old system ends up powering a little bit of everything. It's going to power HR, IT, something, something it may be. And everybody's always trying to have this magic, huge, perfect plan to turn off the old thing and one day magically turn on the new thing. And I've never in the history of time seen that work, right? Like, all of Western civilization is actually powered by these mainframes. And so my best analogy here of how to actually fix this problem, if it's something you're facing in your in your workplace, is a Harry Potter one. And this is a spoiler alert. So if you haven't, if you don't know how Harry Potter ends, you should skip ahead 60 seconds. That says Voldemort is the mainframe, right? And Harry and his family and the whole wizarding world are trying to destroy the mainframe head on. And it doesn't work. The mainframe gets more powerful than ever. And at the, after six and a half books, Harry's lost most of his family. There's billions of pounds of muggle property damage. And Voldemort is stronger than ever. But what does work are finding the horcruxes and slowly peeling off bits of the mainframe's power one bit at a time. So if you think about it in your organization, maybe you could pull off a little bit of case management, maybe a little bit of claim status tracking, maybe a little bit of HR, such that at the end you have a small enough of a, of a puzzle that you can actually replace it in, say, you know, six months or one year. And so this is a, a technique that we use all the time. Even if your company is working, frankly, off of like a really advanced spreadsheet, you still often can't turn it off overnight. You got to peel off piece by piece. And this can be a really amazing bureaucracy hacking tactic if you're trying to make change because there may be some new innovation that you want to have see. Uh, one example here would be around the unemployment claim backlog. In a lot of states, they had a strangle the mainframe tactic of helping stand up a claim status tracker because that was what everybody wanted to know, right? Mm -hmm. Did you get my claim? When is it going to get paid? And the mainframes couldn't support that. But many states stood up in like literally a week a claim status tracker that everybody check their status just from their mobile phone by building this little piece off to the side that just syncs to the mainframe once a night. So just want to encourage folks to think creatively about how they might strangle their mainframe and what their first horcrux might be. That's really cool. That's really cool. <laughs> what comes to mind is <laughs> I was in a, a Facebook group of all of uh, professional speakers. And this is only like four years ago. And, and someone took a photo of a a dot matrix printer at a rental car location is like dot matrix printer is still holding it down at the rental car agency is like yes that is so weird that that those still exist there and then that's intriguing as, as if you think about it in terms of and i don't know the, the rationale for why why th those are still there they're all in airports too yeah if you the airport manifests are printed on dot matrix printers yeah and maybe you're that is or is not relevant. But if, if like, if we're genuinely waiting, I don't know, an extra 30 seconds per, <laughs> per, 
per person in line for the dot makers thing to go go through that, then, then it sounds like it needs to be replaced. And then that, but if it's plugged into a, a mainframe or a bigger computer of sorts, then I guess it's quite possible that you have an alternative means by which the information is sent to a different printing thing. And as I zoom into these conversations, how I imagine they would go is like, oh, well, we can't change that because it's connected to the thing and that thing runs everything. So just don't even touch it. Don't even think about it. Yes. Just forget about it and move on. And then most of us are not so persistent, shall we say, or, or, or stubborn, as however you like to phrase it, as to dig in a little deeper and further. But if you were to do so, to, peeling off a little bit at a time is likely to get us a lot farther. Absolutely. That's the message. All right. Cool. Let's hear another. So if you're kind of a staff level person, a recommendation that we have here is really think about tailoring your pitch to who you need to persuade to your way of thinking. And one of my favorite bureaucracy hacks here was done by a colleague. We needed a bunch of fed- IT executives to approve an API policy. An API is an application programming interface. It's something that lets two computers talk to each other. But if you don't know what an API is, that just sounds like a huge security black hole. Like, wait a minute, I'm going to let another computer connect to my computer and take data out of it? Like, that sounds like everybody's going to hack it and, you know, take all the private data out of it. That doesn't sound safe. And so people were pretty opposed to it. But because they were senior leaders, they had no safe place to ask basic questions about what an API was. They were too senior to ask Hmm. the basic questions, right? So we had to set up a space for them to learn. So we had a session called APIs for Executives. And we held it in a fancy room and had some fancy speakers and fancy invites (laughs) and invited them to come. And at the beginning of the presentation, it said, you know, hey, we know everybody here knows what APIs are, but just in case. And then gave a basic 101 review of APIs so that it gave those executives a safe place to learn so they could actually engage in the conversation. And if we hadn't done that, they would have just blocked our policy from day one from a place of fear. Oh, that's... (laughs) That feels really brilliant in terms of, so you, so you knew exactly what your roadblock was. Yes. Is that these folks don't understand what an API is and they're afraid to ask. Correct. And I I can't just say, listen, bud, (laughs) I know you don't know what you're talking about. So let me lay it down for you. You knew that wasn't going to fly in in this environment. And so I'm curious about how you presented that. It's like, oh, wouldn't you know it? Like, crazy coincidence, this event is happening because like you had agency in creating the event. So how did you, how'd you play that game? Well, it was just about framing it and in a totally respectful way. So like, yeah, it does sound a little bit manipulative. I fully acknowledge that, but we had to find a safe place to get them to learn. And having an event called API 101 wasn't going to do it because they were going to be afraid of like being seen in front of their direct reports, right? Potentially Mm -hmm. as not knowing. So we had to create a place that they would feel safe. And we had a little bit of an advantage. We could also invite them to a fancy White House office room for the event. But you Uh probably have an equivalent wherever your organization may be of creating some sort of safe space for people to learn without making them feel dumb. Because when they, if people feel dumb or threatened, they're not going to engage with you in a constructive way. Yeah, that's good. All right. Marina, you could just keep going all day. More hacks. Lay it on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Something that I think is really overlooked that we really encourage is When you're understanding how a process works or when you find a change that you want to make, you have to understand the internal employee impacts of that process the same as you understand how you may want to change it for that end user or for your customer. So often your internal employees have particular risks or incentive frameworks, right? Like their position description says they have to do this or that. Their 
practice manual says they have to do this or that. They have more steps to do in a day than they can possibly do. So if you show up with your like bright, fancy new idea for outside customers, you're going to have a new customer support model or you're going to have a new product that makes the internal people have to do seven more steps on their already over full plate. They are going to resist you and they are going to fight you. But if you can understand, kind of like my story earlier about the DMV, right? Like neither of those women, they were both busy. They didn't want to fill out carbon copy paper and mail it to one another. Like they did, they were happy to take that step off their plate. But you had to acknowledge that it existed in the first place to understand how you could kind of trade and say, okay, I'll get you two more internal efficiency gains. And in exchange, I need you to do this one extra step that's going to help my actual project goal. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, now, could you tell us a little bit about what not to do when it comes to hacking a bureaucracy? We want to make something happen. We're inside a bureaucracy. We've got some really cool things that we should do. What are some things that we absolutely should not do? Yeah, this is a mistake I see people make all the time. And I made it myself a lot in the beginning, which is you can't try to make the bureaucracy care. Bureaucracies do not have feelings. They have decision criteria. And something I see a lot, and I see this especially in IT, where, you know, you want a new IT application approved or you want to be able to use uh, a spreadsheet software, right, because it's going to make you more efficient. But the argument that like, hey, if we don't get this, there'll be foster children that are homeless or there'll be veterans that don't get health care. Those are not approval criteria on the approval form. They're not part of the decision matrix. So you can like beg and plead and make the emotional arguments to the end of time. But if you don't actually fill out the approval form and meet what it needs, you're not ever going to get to the goal that you actually want. So a big mistake I see people making is trying to make the bureaucracy care. And what instead you should do is understand what the bureaucracy cares about and meet those needs, even if it may be frustrating and not feel particularly emotionally fulfilling in the moment. Mm-hmm. Well, And so that what's interesting here is we're talking about the bureaucracy. It's like an entity... I think about like the, the Borg. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's like an entity, a person, a corporate thing unto itself. And that doesn't have feelings. I get you. Like if we define bureaucracy as a series of steps or, or processes, then for, well, maybe first we should get your definition of bureaucracy. I guess individual humans within the bureaucracy might care. And that could maybe motivate them. It's like, wow, you're right. This is a big problem and we need to do something. So maybe you've enrolled them. You've gotten them on board, perhaps, with some emotions. But you're not really going to get any traction in terms of making it happen until the actual steps of the form or, or process or whatever are getting adjusted. Is that a fair synopsis? Absolutely. You might win them over to pay attention to you first, to take your form first, but you're not going to win them over to allow your half-filled out form to get approved. Okay. Understood. And then since we're saying the word bureaucracy a lot, could you define it for us? Yeah. Uh, In the course of writing the book, we actually tried to find something that wasn't a bureaucracy. Uh, And this quest took us even to like a co-op grocery store in Berkeley, California. Turns out it was still a bureaucracy. It's any organization of any size that's run by a series of processes and rules, both written and unwritten. And the unwritten, I think, is really important, too, because at the end of the day, like if there is a process, if you have to go through Bertha, right, and Bertha considers her form in a particular way, and she is the, the the gatekeeper there, it's important to understand that as an unwritten rule. Okay. Well, thank you for that. So anyway, the more don'ts, what else should we not do? Yeah. My other one is beware of the obvious answer. I literally have a text expander keyboard shortcut on my computer where if I type the word just, it will delete it. So it will not let me type the word just because that word is what gets tons of people in trouble, especially if you're new to a problem or to an organization. Do not show up and say, well, why don't you just do 
XYZ. Because the odds are that hundreds of people have had your idea before, and there's some reason why it has not been done already. Uh, So before you say, well, why don't you just do this? Uh, It's really important to kind of first keep that idea to yourself, but dig in, try to find people that have had that same idea see what who has tried what, where didn't it work? Because it may be that the solution is not impossible. That's not at all what I'm saying, but is a lot more complicated than the obvious answer that it may seem like you have. That's good. And articulating the word just out loud can, <laughs> I imagine, enrage some people. Yes. Like, like, who do you think you are? Or I guess we're all just idiots, Marina. Excuse us for not having just made an online form. Pardon our <laughs> foolishness. Correct. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I've often coached people. It's like, don't say the word obviously ever. It, it doesn't help you out. That should be a text expander shortcut too. Absolutely. <laughs> and so just is in that same category in this context. So, okay. Any other don'ts? Uh, I think those are my two main ones. All right. And I want to talk a little bit about the emotional component here. I think some folks have a, a feeling that if they try to hack the bureaucracy, their bosses might think that you're trying to undermine their authority or you're trying to circumvent them or their system or you're going over their head like you're committing some kind of a no-no. Can you tell us to what extent are these fears real? And if we have them, what should we do about them? Yeah. So my approach there would be to build a stakeholder map. And that's something we recommend in the book. And a stakeholder map is usually such a valuable tool that we explicitly recommend that you never share it with anybody and that you don't put it anywhere that somebody else can find it. Because everybody's got those different perspectives. Like you're just saying, you may have a boss that is very threatened by you shining, in which case, if you really want to see your initiative take hold, the way to do it might be to give your boss credit for having done it. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you may have a boss that is really like a rule follower. And so the way to get around that is to follow the rules. You may have people that are very motivated by uh, getting a promotion. And therefore, you have to understand what is the criteria for them getting a promotion and how do you help them achieve that in the course of helping you achieve your initiative. So by mapping out kind of who each person is, what their resources or, or power structure is relative to the decisions that you need made, and what are their risks and incentives, you can start strategically figuring out how to move forward so that you can get your initiative done, whether that means, again, giving some people credit, um, distracting some other people with a different shiny toy, uh, and then you know maybe even changing some position descriptions themselves so that people's motivation to do their regular work is shifted to help support what you're trying to get done. Mm-hmm. There's so much wisdom here, Marina. Thank you. Okay, so when you're making this this map of things with the stakeholders and, and what they want, I'm curious, are there a few key categories of, of drivers of things that people tend to really want or, or not want that we might tick through as we're trying to, to fill out that map? Because you might say, huh, what does Paul want? Hmm, nothing's leaping to mind. Can you give us a few starter categories to help get those ideas flowing? Yeah, absolutely. I think we have like two pages of bullets in the book as an additional brainstorming exercise. But um, people think about what their recognition is. Some people, for example, actively avoid the limelight and some people really want to be seen in it. Um, money, which could be tied to promotions or raises or getting more budget line item for their own program, right? Some people want to be perceived as innovative and some people want to be perceived as rule followers. And then it's also important not to overlook the literal lines of like, what is this person supposed to be doing? And what are the lines, whether like gray or bright lines of what they're not supposed to be doing? And how might you need to adjust those to accommodate the kind of different kind of work that you might need them to do? Mm -hmm. 
Well, Marina, it seems like as you describe this, you sound like such a master. And uh, you know, yeah, you've got a lot of experience in, in some organizations. You've you've learned some some things the hard way, and you've you've codified some of it. So it, beyond simply reading your book, hack your bureaucracy. Do you have any tips on on how we can generally become all the more savvy and and hip to this skill set? Yeah, I mean, I think this is one that anybody can learn. I don't think you have to get a bachelor's degree in it by any means. Mm-hmm. And so I would start with just identifying a problem in your space. Again, whether it's you're annoyed by a homeowners association rule, or since this podcast is about being awesome at your job, you know, something in your immediate department, or maybe at a slightly higher level in your organization that you want to change. And then I would go about trying to change it. Talk to your peers, you know, enlist other people in the journey of making the change, try the normal way, understand and ask why is it the way that it is? Is there some law or policy? Or is it just that a CEO three CEOs ago said it was the case and no one has ever questioned it since? And then you can build up your skills there. I would definitely recommend picking problems, if at all possible, that don't involve, you know, life or death as your first bureaucracy hack. Pick something a little bit lower stakes. And then as you build up your, you know, bureaucracy busting muscles, uh, you can take on harder and harder problems. All right. Well, Marina, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we hear about some of your favorite things? One last thing I'd just say is it's also a lot of this sounds like you're really in the weeds and uh, it definitely is, but it really helps to hold a North Star. And that was something that I built early on when I was at the VA that literally just started with a bunch of post-it notes, but saying like, what could the VA be if we get through all these bureaucracy hacks? Like, what is the VA at the end of the at the end of the rainbow, as it were? And actually, so the federal government has an equivalent to the Grammys or the Emmys called the Sammys. And the VA won the Sammy for the whole federal government for customer service two weeks ago. And that was like such an incredible vision that from 10 years ago that it wasn't even on my vision board. So I just encourage you, it's nice to have a North Star and it can also motivate you through the dark times to know like what the big picture you're working towards is, even if you have to make a lot of concessions along the way. All right. Now, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Absolutely. It's Lily Tomlin. Uh, and it's, I always wondered why somebody didn't do something about that. And then I realized I'm somebody. Mm-hmm. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I love uh, rereading Dan Gilbert's Stumbling on Happiness and the research that you're just as happy as you were before, no matter what bad things happen to you or no matter what decisions that you make. That helps make some decisions feel a little lower stakes. Okay. And a favorite book? Uh, what a book that I actually really modeled our book off of is The Success Principles by Jack Canfield, because I love that you can just open to any page and get like a little mini dose of inspiration without having to commit to reading, you know, a 300 page book. OK. And a favorite tool? Definitely the stakeholder maps or the journey maps that it would be like when you're mapping out a process from end to end, all the different steps, all the people working at the steps, what the error rates are, what the volume rates are, what the wait times are. I love those immensely. And maybe as a meta tool, it would be my enormous dry erase board sticker because it takes up like my whole wall and it's where I draw all of my maps. Oh, so it's a dry erase board, but it's like a post-it or you say sticker. Yes, it's from 3M. Yeah, it's like uh, six by 12 feet. You can buy them in different sizes. And mine, I've had it for five years now and it's held up perfectly. Like I expected I'd have to replace them. But you could reposition it with the adhesive. I have never tried that. So yes, you could reposition it. But my most of my vision was if I got it, you know how you dry erase on something for a mm-hmm. while and you kind of have that red hue that you can't get rid of. Yeah. I envisioned I could just, oh, great. I'll just unstick the board and put up a new one. But it, I haven't even had to do that yet. So, and I use it all the time. Yeah, I use it all the time. Oh, they're really getting it done. 
<laughs> and a favorite habit? Inbox zero. Uh, it took me many years to get to that point, but now I get super anxious if I even have like five unprocessed emails. Well, Marina, maybe we need to have you for a whole other episode to discuss that. <laughs> but uh, just it quick... took a lot of a lot of work to get there. So, quick follow-ups. What have been some of the most game-changing insights, or approaches, or tools, or hacks to pulling this off? One, definitely the snooze feature in Gmail helped a lot because some some emails, you know, it's a hotel reservation one or something about a meeting agenda for next week. I snooze it till one minute before I need it. So it gets out of my inbox, but I know it's going to appear when I need it. Mm-hmm. Another piece is really from David Allen's getting things done, which is I just have to make a decision about what to do in the email. I don't have to do the thing. So that reduces the friction of like, oh, my God, I don't have time to write, you know, a 20 page report. But I don't have to. All I have to do is capture in my to-do list that I have to write the 20-page report. And then I tag the uh, email as having a task. And then I can uh, get it out of my inbox. I'm also a pretty merciless unsubscriber. Mm-hmm. And I love apps like uh, Matter, for example. Anytime I get an email newsletter of something I'm supposed to read, that automatically gets forwarded to Matter and deleted from my inbox. So then when I'm in the mood to read or David Allen, if you're in the context to read, I can just pull up my Matter app and I get every all my reading material in one place. So it's not in my inbox. All right. Is there a key nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? You hear people quote it back to you often? Yes. It's the idea of cultivating the carass. Carass is a concept from Kurt Vonnegut's Cat's Cradle, which is that in the book that God has hidden other people on the planet to help you accomplish a goal. We use it in a little bit more of a secular way, which is imagine if instead of thinking that all the people in your agency or your department are out to get you are out to slow roll you, imagine that there are people that are out to help you and they are just hidden around as security guards or secretaries or accountants. And how can you find them and then band together to get your goal accomplished? All right. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? hackyourbureaucracy.com. We have a blog where we're continuing to share more bureaucracy hacking tactics and stories. And then you can follow me on Twitter at at Marina Nitze, N-I-T-Z-E. All right. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yes. Find your carass. I mean, the best allies I had when I was in government trying to get through some of the hardest, hardest projects were literally the security guards and the executive assistants. And so you just never know who your best allies are. So go out there meet as many people as you can and uh, hack your bureaucracy. All right, Marina, thank you. This has been a treat. Uh, I wish you many successful hacks. Thank you so much. You too. I love so much of Marina's perspective. And I think what is going to stick with me the most is just like that hopefulness that you may be in a bureaucracy and it may feel like it really sucks and it's so hard to get stuff done. But in that dysfunction, there is opportunity and maybe huge opportunity such that you can make a huge impact for doing not a ton of work by just zeroing in on something that's broken, following it to the end, getting it fixed, and then people are enriched. So much good stuff from Marina. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items that we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP810. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. 
If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader.